I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. All right. Thanks, folks, for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Uh, today, we're talking a little bit about uh, divorce. And again, uh, we're doing our, our kind of uh, different setup again this week that we're going to be using moving forward. So I'm going to have two individual interviews today. And before we get started, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that the land where I personally record is situated in Jojage, uh, which is the traditional unsurrendered territory of the Ganyugehaga First Nations. So as always, like I really encourage you to uh, take a look at the land that you live on. There's a really great website called native-land.ca that'll tell you sort of um, whose land you're living on uh, and also has really great resources like how to land acknowledgements and a bunch of other other great stuff and despite the fact that it's a .ca website it covers all of North America and a little bit of Australia so yeah I definitely just encourage you to kind of reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and um, the folks who inhabit it. Without further ado I'm going to invite my lovely first guest to introduce themselves so we're just going to do our uh, name pronouns where you're from your relationship with kids and your relationship with the theme. Hi, Seth. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Allie Thresher. Um, I use they, them pronouns. I'm a non-binary, genderqueer parent. Um, I do use mama. My kids call me mama. I am from Worcester, Massachusetts, which is uh, the Nipmuc territories and land. And uh, my relationship to kids is I am a single parent to two awesome little guys, Vincent and Theo. (laughs) Yeah. And aside from being a parent, I in my civilian non-mom life, I professionally work for um, for an amazing nonprofit, PJ Library, as the director of digital content. So I do a lot of family-focused focused engagement and content work. And my side passion project is a little queer, family-friendly entertainment group called Storytime with Drag Kings, Queens, and Friends. And I've been oh running gosh. that for, I just realized we've been running it for four years. <laughs> is that, is that like in-person content or digital content or? I did some digital when COVID okay. first started. Now I mostly, I mostly work behind the scenes, just offering my, um, cause I have original songs for our programming and a format for the programming. And oh yeah, I just partner with other folks who do drag story times or drag family friendly events and like give trainings to people who've never read to kids before. And is it, is it all local where you are? It started out originally in my neighborhood in Boston, and I originally set it up to just do one event for like friends, and more than 120 families came to that event <laughs> because of word of mouth. Oh my gosh! So then That's it amazing. Yeah, then it turned into a thing, um, and then a few years later, when I was moving away from Boston and Drag Queen Story Hour was coming into town, it was great because we were able to share performers, and and I was able to share like some of my resources mm-hmm. with with the person running that chapter and tell and tell them about like the contracts I had set up and like the the just give like share resources and insight and it was just really awesome to like you know yeah. it's like win win more queer content for kids it's like always win win yeah well that's something i also love about like queer content creators is i feel like we're less like oh that's my idea and you can't mm-hmm. have it we're like no we want everybody to be doing this like that's great you know yeah so my ex and I, we were never formally married, but we were together. We were together, obviously, long enough to have two children. <laughs> and we did when we when we separated, we did go through the through the court process. So she lives here in town, about ten minutes away. I have um, primary custody of our kids, and 
Yeah, it's just I've been through it. I've been through the court system. I've been we've been through the court system as queer people, as um, as trans people, which was a really unique experience, yeah. even here in what is supposedly one of the more progressive states in in the United yeah. States. Did your partner identify as trans as well? Yes, she's yeah, she's, yeah, she's a she transitioned after, um, and I have her permission to speak about this. She transitioned after we okay. after we had our second child. Yeah, I wouldn't speak speak on it if I didn't have okay. her consent. Yeah, she she transitioned after we had our second child. And yeah, that was it was actually like a bright spot in our relationship going through like beginning that journey together. And it's still a really wonderful thing that that bonds us. Like and it's just I feel like it's made my children I mean they're little, but I just feel like it's made them more compassionate, like loving, wonderful, yeah. like good little citizens. <laughs> how how old are your kids? They're three and four. They're 16 months apart. He's three going on like 35. <laughs> he's he's a lot. He's amazing, but he's a lot. Yeah. And so like today they're they're visiting. They they call her, they call my ex, they call her Dada. That's, you know, we, it was so funny because she and I tried out like a bunch of other names for her and the kids were very adamant. They're like, uh, no, Dada, <laughs> Dada. <laughs> I also love like, I'm, I'm in a lot of like queer parenting groups and things like that. And I love reading the posts about like the different titles that parents have, like, especially like non-binary parents or parents who are in, you know, a household where there might be two moms or two dads and you don't want to both be mom. Um, and one a family that I worked for, I loved this. They had uh, it was a lesbian couple and one of the lesbians was more like butch identifying and um, they called her Maddie. Like it was a combination of mommy and daddy, which I thought was so cute. And then Gail Pittman came out with a book called My Maddie. And I was like, you guys need to buy this. It's about a non-binary parent, actually. But I was like, you guys need this book. And like instead of Father's Day, they have like Maddie's Day. And like it's so cute. But I love reading posts of like all the different sort of like terms that the parents, because even right, even for like a straight cis you know hetero couple like often they'll be like different things that you'll call your parents or like here right because it's a lot of french speaking for example like the kids that i nanny call their parents like mama and papa instead oh, of like that. mommy and daddy it's like papa mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden i guess like they were saying because i'll because you know i'm not it's funny because like i'll be with them and you know i know the words i use with them and all of a sudden they'll say something that i never say and i'm like well, did your parents say that? Or where did you get that from? Did you get that from TV? Like, where did you get that from? And all of a sudden the other day they started calling him daddy. And I was like, what? We've never done that. And they were like, oh, sometimes we switch back and forth. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, where did they get that from? She and I were laughing about the other day, like the two of them, sometimes to push our buttons, they, like, I cringe if someone calls me mommy, like I'm mama. That's yeah. And so funny. So when they want to push my buttons, they'll look at me and they'll go, Oh mommy. Oh mommy. Uh, and she was telling me that they've that they've started to sometimes like to be sassy to her. They'll go, um, she'll be like, guys, blah blah. And they'll go, Okay, dad. <laughs> like with that intonation. <laughs> And and so she and I have been trying to figure out like which of their friends speaks that way or like which media did that come from? Because yeah, it's so funny when they're like all of a sudden you're like like for example I brought a, a spinner for a board game that I had made mm -hmm. uh, and you know so it's like a circle with the the little spinner things on it and. Arthur, one of the twins, or two and a half, looked at it and goes, a clock. And I was like, we don't have any, we only have digital clocks in this house. So you must have seen that on like Peppa Pig or something. Like, where did you see a clock that looked like this? Because you've never, literally never seen one in your life, I don't think, in person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, 
yeah, where did you get that from? <laughs> so funny. But anyway, so talking about kind of the silly things that kids say and do, I always start out with the same question uh, because we often on the show talk a lot about, you know, things that are tricky topics and maybe that kids might catch us off guard with asking us about. And so I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a child asked you a question that you like weren't prepared for or kind of caught you off guard. So many times. <laughs> <laughs> often the answer. <laughs> and it's so funny because, you know, just I think by like virtue of being a queer parent, I'm really prepared for things about like bodies mm. and bodily autonomy and bodily yeah. functions. And I always thought that would be like the hardest. And then there are things, you know, there's actually this funny article that came out um, when I was pregnant with my first child, before I before I was a parent, my ex's niece had asked me like a very simple question. I forget what it was, but we were like, I was babysitting her and I was reading her a bedtime story and she asked me something and it was so simple and it was something about religion. It was like, well, why do we, why do we believe this? Or why do we believe something? And my response was just, uh, we should ask your mom. <laughs> I, I, I just... And I, and it was so weird because I remember being like, I should know this. I don't, I've just always accepted like, (laughs) this is just how it is. And yeah. And I was like, we, we should ask your mom what, what, what the answer to that is. It's also, it's also so, it can be really difficult. We talk about this a lot where like, if you're, if it's not your own children, if like in any circumstance, if you're an educator, if you're babysitting, whatever, unless you like really know the values of like the parent, like I can kind of like guess sometimes like with the families I'm working for, right? Like I tell them I'm trans. So if kids ask questions about mm-hmm. trans stuff, like I'm going to answer those questions. And I, I know that the family is going to be on board with that. But like, if you're like, you know, in certain situations where you're with kids that aren't yours, it's like, you don't always, even if you know the answer, you might not want to give that answer because like, maybe it's not appropriate for you to be giving that information to the kids or like you don't want the parents coming home and being like so they asked what a dildo was and like i just told them um <laughs> which has been that was it's one of my favorite stories is one of the one of our former guests uh was teaching at hebrew school and the kids asked what a dildo was and they were like i can answer that question but i don't think that the parents would be happy if they came home from hebrew school with the answer to that question. <laughs> that's not what they're here to learn about I also think it's okay, like, we talk about this a lot, where, like, it's okay to say, like, I I don't know, or, like, I need more time to think about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that we feel like we need to know immediately, and it's like, you know what, I mean, I think, and not using it as a cop-out, but, like, really saying, you know what, I'm going to think about that and get back to you. Like, I'm not sure. Um, And I think that that shows that, like, you care enough about the question, and, like, their questions are important, that, like, you really want to think about it and and give a good answer, you know? Um, One of my favorite things with, because... You know, Vincent is, um, Vincent asks a lot of questions and he mm-hmm. will really get like, he'll get deep into a, into a topic. Um, Vincent, my older son is, is autistic and he's like the most amazing kid. And I've learned like being his parent has taught me so many lessons. And one of them is that like the power of saying, I don't know. And then the fun of saying, let's look it up. And that's been a really good lesson for me too, in terms of like, you know, I work in digital media. I work, I have my phone on me all the time. I don't want my kids to think though that I'm just staring at a little plastic box and ignoring them. So it's, yeah. it becomes a fun way for me to model like that this is a way for us to communicate and interact also with yeah. this device. I think that's so important. Like we talk about that a lot too, where like you could be like, I don't know, let's look it up. Like if it is a look upable, Googleable question, 
right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like an existential question that you can't look up, like does God <laughs> exist or whatever. Well, I don't know. Let's Google it. But I think when it is a Googleable question, like you were saying, like that is like I, the one that I always think of is a kid once asked me, can starfish walk? And I was like, I don't know, let's Google it. And we watched a video of a starfish. It was very interesting. Uh, but we, you know, we watched a video of a starfish walking. And like, it was a fun, you know, educational moment. And like, I think that's better than just being like, you know, it's one step further. Like, it's okay to say, I don't know, but it's even one step further to be like, let's look it up together. And it becomes like a bonding activity, you know? My other one that I like to ask is, what do you think or why do you think? And that's mm-hmm. become, I'm. we'll get into this more, but that's become a little bit more powerful especially these days as like Vincent and Theo are starting to notice more and more, not just like in their classroom environments, but in the media that they consume, they don't see a lot of divorced parents or single parents. And they certainly don't mm-hmm. see two mom families or, or trans families as much, as much as I like try to stack our library, there just aren't as many books about our families. Yeah. So because, you know, intersectionality isn't a thing. Right. You can only be divorced or you can be queer. You can't be queer and divorced. Well, and it's so hard too because children's publishing just takes it takes so long to make a book. So like I know people yeah. are writing these books, but it's just like it takes forever to bring them. It's not gonna be in time it. for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like my kids are, are gonna have already figured it out by the time the books are available. <laughs> Yeah, it's really I've I've found that like um, because <clears throat> we do an episode like this, and then the next episode, uh, my co-host Rebecca and I talk about kind of our favorite books for the topic, our favorite children's books, and we had I have had such trouble finding books about divorce. Like, really, the closest I can get is books that are like these are all different types of families, and some families happen to be like this. Like, mm-hmm. all the books that are like this is what divorce. They're just so like, oh, your family's like this. Oh, that's so interesting. Like, it's not just like people can't just be living in a life and also be divorced. Or even the books that are like about directly about it. I'm just like, ugh, they're so bad. So I'm excited to hear yeah, if you have any or, recommendations later on. <laughs> they're so they're so heavy that it's like that it's like you know yeah. my kid isn't thinking that deeply about this. I I want yeah. more books, and I'm working on a manuscript of my own too, where it's just like incidental. Ooh. There's parents yes. living in different houses. Like, it's just, yep. it's a great story. And it just so happens that the parents don't live in the same house. And that's, we need that for so many different topics, right? It's what we call incidental representation, which is where, like, it isn't about that thing, right? So, like, for example, maybe it's not a story that's like, I am trans, and this is what it's like to be trans. But, like, like what's that book by Kyle Lukoff, Aiden? Oh, When Aiden Became a Brother. When I Aiden Became a Brother. So Thank you. Yeah, it's a wonderful, and Kyle, Kyle's great. We've known each other for a long time. But anyway, so jumping into the topic a little bit, I'm curious if you could tell us sort of a little more about your experience with divorce, like how, how did that go? How old were your kids? That, that kind of stuff. With us, you know, we separated in 2019 formally. And so at the time, you know, Theo was just about two, Vincent was three. We entered the entered the court system and in retrospect, you know, we'll get into this more later. I don't know if I would go that route, but at the time it felt like yeah. it was the way it felt for both of us. Like it was the way that we had to do things mm-hmm. when it, when things, when, um, when my ex first moved out, it was tough at first because like my Vincent really needs structure. My kids really need structure. And here was this big disruption mm-hmm. to the structure of, of their day and their, and their life. And I kept a lot of his routines exactly the same, but, you know, noticeably yeah. there's a, a whole person missing. And it was something that I harped on with 
with my ex, like a lot was like, I need you. I know you're having a really tough time with this. You know, I'm the one who was like, we need to, this needs to happen. We, we've tried, we've tried everything. We've been trying therapy and we've tried this and that we've tried for so long. It's not working. We can't let our kids see us like this. Um, And luckily she like agreed, Mm. but she was having a harder time with it. And I kind of had this frank, but difficult conversation where I was like, I need you to FaceTime them every night. Like Mm -hmm. we need to do that for them. They need to see you. And in the beginning, and, um, and it was funny because in court they were like, stop doing this. That's not a good thing. In the beginning, I also like would work with her to set up that like once a week we'd have a family meal. Like we'd go out to a restaurant or we'd go on an outing and we'd do a family activity. So we'd all be together. And I, and it's still weird to me that I don't know why court had such a problem with us doing that, but that definitely smoothed over the transition. It was, I'm not going to lie. It was really hard. It did take a toll on me, um, like mentally, but at the end of the day, you know, we were both putting our kids first and our kids needed that transition. And then when we started developing our Mm. visitation schedule, like we did things in stages, like first they did half, half day visits with, with her every Saturday and we had a drop off point. And then like, as we started to figure out our custody schedule, Mm. we like started to work out a routine and then COVID hit. (laughs) And she's an essential worker who works with the public. So then everything got thrown into, into disarray because, you know, so many things, but really for us, like, we sort of, we really, nesting wouldn't have worked for us. Like I know it works for a lot of people, but we really worked hard to like, to have the kids, you know, uh, to have the kids not feel her absence as much. Yeah. Can you, just for folks who might not know, can you explain sort of what you mean by like nesting? Oh, sure. So nesting is what some folks do where um, the kids will always stay in the family home and the parents will rent an apartment together. And so the kids won't go back Mm -hmm. and forth to a property. The parents will take turns being in and out of the same house. And so Mm -hmm. if we had done that, like the kids would always be here and I'd go to an apartment and she'd stay here for a few nights and then back and forth. That just was not, um, that was not going to be tenable for a number of reasons, including the fact that like, um, you know, I throughout our entire relationship, even before we had kids, I was always the breadwinner and the the, Mm -hmm. most of the time the sole breadwinner. And I just like, I didn't have the money. to do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm also saying it from a single income household. So I feel you there. I, I mm-hmm. often am just like, I don't even understand how people can afford kids. I can't barely afford myself. I'm still working on it. And I've got, and I've got the credit card bills to show. I don't know how to afford them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but I think it's interesting what you were saying about the court where like, they were weird about you like spending time as a family and it's like I feel like in their mind it's either like you're a happy family or you're like not and you're separate it's like it can be like there's a middle Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of in between and with with all of you know these kinds of things and different kinds of families like I feel like it's not just black and white right it's like you know irresponsible to think about it like that I think that there's things that work for different families yeah. That was a really big shock and a really big challenge going through the court system. I don't think a lot of people realize that even if you both have attorneys, it's at, at least in, in the U.S., it's rare that you get to both be in front of a judge. You spend most of the time with probation officers or mediators. And mm-hmm. a lot of these folks are just really jaded. They see so many yeah. cases. They see so many people. They want you in and out. They don't want to deal with you. And they don't have yeah. time for any sort of arguing or or anything whatsoever. And there's also like an incredible amount of misogyny, which is very, very difficult. 
that does not surprise me unfortunately yeah yeah there's just I mean that was just shocking some of the some of the things that were directed at me were just like sort of blew my mind and then there was also this these weird things we'd run into sometimes where like being a two mom family and her being femme and me being you know presenting a little bit more butch most of the time we're like I sometimes got <laughs> um, treated like a stereotypical dad in in not nice ways. And so there was all these ways where people kept trying to pigeonhole us yeah. into these certain roles in these certain areas when either of us would try to defend ourselves and, and even assign us each gender roles. And when we try to defend ourselves and be like, that's not actually how our family worked or how our arrangement worked or like that that's, you know, neither of us was strictly like yeah. this or this. It was like it was like talking to a wall and then just things would get even even more fraught. So it it made it like I don't want to use this word lightly because I feel sometimes like people throw it around. But like I had to go to therapy. It was like a little bit traumatic. Some of the things that got said to me or to us by officers of the court, like I really had to spend time in therapy unpacking some of it and unpacking like the extra guilt on top of the on top of the guilt. Like even though we knew it was an already difficult situation. Yeah. And we knew, like, we knew really, we couldn't each be the best parents for our kids while we were together. Like we couldn't be our best selves, our best people. Mm -hmm. We had a really frank conversation of like, we don't want our kids growing up thinking this is how two partners interact and treat each other. We don't want them thinking that this is how people who love each other interact. And now like us not being in each other's space all the time, not being in each other's faces. You know, my my ex is in like a, a new relationship and she's so happy and she's so much more like fulfilled in herself and she has more room to explore who she is and like get a lot of the experiences she kind of missed out on because, you know, yeah. not getting to live her true self until we were adults, until we were close to 40. Um, or no, she was past 40. So it's like our kids now get to see two parents who communicate, two parents who put them them first, and they get to see healthy, loving relationships modeled, which was really, really important to us. I love that so much. I think that's so important. And again, like I was saying, like, I think families can work in so many different kinds of ways. And people think that, I think a lot of people think that, you know, you have to have a certain family structure in order to, you know, be a successful family and be a happy family. And I think that it's just different for everybody. I'm, I'm curious, like how you, you know, if you sort of directly talked to your kids about what was going on and sort of like how that conversation went, if you had, you know, conversation or conversations um, about that, you know, how they sort of took it. Yeah. So it was, they were so little when it first happened. Like, I mm-hmm. think, I think Theo wasn't even super aware of it, but <laughs> Vincent at the time, to be, to be really honest, he knew some something was different in his routine and he like felt that. But yeah. at first it was at first it was unusual. At first he didn't actually like because I was keeping things so much the same. I don't I don't want this to be misinterpreted the way I said it, but it's like because I don't have the language to articulate it, but it's like he didn't outwardly notice Dada wasn't there, but he knew something was very different. Like it took him a few days yeah. to, to be like, wait a minute. To like put your finger put his finger on it. Yeah. Yeah. And at the, at the time also, you know, most, most weekends, my ex was, was not with us. Most weekends I was by myself with the kids. So they'd been used to, you know, going, going into like when things became formal and she moved out, they had been used to like, there are chunks of time where Dada is not here. And I think that 
yeah. ended up being a, a blessing in a weird way. So when he would ask questions, I would, I would answer them honestly. And I would say things like, you know, I wouldn't talk about my feelings. I would just say like, say like, Oh, dad, you know, I would try to make it exciting because of how little they were. I'd be like, Oh, dad is, dad is going to get her, her own house. And dad is gonna, it's really exciting. Like dad does finding a house or like, or dad does visiting um, grandma or dad is visiting, you know, so-and-so. And we just tried to always, the two of us, like in talking them, we try to always, not in a false way, but spin it up positively because we don't want them to think that things are bad. Now that he's older and he's noticing more, you know, he like, he loves sorting and loves, he's really into opposites and really into categorizing things. And he's noticing more and more that like, if you put us next to families of other kids, he knows our family is different um, in multiple ways. But the the biggest one being is that Mama and Dada live in two different places and Vincent and Theo go back and forth. And it's really interesting for as incredibly diverse as the area where we live is, um, my kids are each in their mm -hmm. classrooms, the only kids who have who have yeah. a single parent, separated parent situation. That's wild. Mm -hmm. And I, I also totally can, in a different way, but can relate to what you were saying about your ex not being there all the time, sort of being like a, a blessing. My my father passed away when I was 16 and had uh, some alcohol and drug issues prior to that. I mean, his whole life, but like that led to that happening. And he, um, so my mom, six months before he passed away, had, you know, kicked him out and, you know, told him that he couldn't because of all the things that were going on. And so I was used to him not being there. And so when he passed away, it like, it was weird in the sense that I would kind of forget sometimes because I'd be like, oh yeah, he's, it's not like he's just not here, like he's gone. But it was like a kind of a blessing in the same way where I was just like used to, and obviously I was older, but like I was like 14, but I was still like, I was used to him not being there. So it wasn't as much of like a shock to the system. And so it's interesting, like, I'm not one of those, like everything happens for a reason kind of people, but I feel like sometimes things just do kind of work out in a way that, you know, ends up being, being kind of beneficial. Yeah. And I think for our family, it really worked out that we ended up sort of like being separated in stages. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it, and, and part of it was, that's just how it happened. And part of it was like necessity because especially with Vincent, like we really have to be conscious of keeping things consistent and keeping a routine for him. And that's, something even now today, you know, it's in our parenting agreement to follow his routines and his therapy plans. And mm -hmm. I share with my ex, like this, their schedule. And, you know, when COVID and lockdown started, I took time off of work and came up with a daily schedule and I shared it with her so that, you know, on the mm -hmm. um, weekends that they're with her, like she could replicate it. And it, it's, it's been a huge, huge help. I think it's my one big thing, like to to give his advice to other parents is you have to put the kids first always always and oftentimes yeah. that means that does mean separating I know so many people who struggle through trying to keep a family together and it's like you know it came down to us like what are we modeling for our children by staying together in a relationship yeah. where like where we're not good together anymore you know and we're not our best selves yeah. together anymore and what yeah. I mean by saying put the kids together first, that includes like, you know, I don't let anyone talk. Uh, sorry, I'm not going to swear. I have a sailor mouth and I sometimes have to stop myself. I don't let anyone say anything about anything disparaging, negative. Like I shut conversations down if someone has anything to say, because sometimes people think that's how they're being supportive. 
but in front of the children, it's not like to be negative about your ex. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't tolerate that. I don't let it happen. If, if my kids are, it's true though. We think like if someone breaks up, we're like, Oh yeah, he was terrible. And Mm -hmm. I never liked him. And he, you know, we think that that is like us. Yeah. People think that's supportive. And you're like, in some situations it is, but it's like, that's not a one size fits all way to support. You know, And for me, I'm always like, that's, that was my partner. That's, we had children together. That's, that's like the, yeah. the data. That's my children's other parent. Like you can't say that, that, and my children yeah. like love their other parents so much. And I don't want them to ever have someone saying something that, that taints or, yeah, or damages absolutely. that. Like we also like, it's really interesting. I didn't know this wasn't standard, but in Massachusetts, it's boilerplate on most parenting agreements. There's actually like, because it's the state <laughs> is really big into child first. There's actually boilerplate about like not talking to the kids uh, disparagingly about the other parent, not, um, yeah. And I think it's like, it's so beneficial. I think we were on the same page, like of of, like, obviously we're not going to do that because that's the worst, (laughs) but I think it's like a really good way to, you know, to keep other situations in check. And, you know, I'm in like a support group, I'm in a couple of support groups for like single parents or separated parents, just because like, we face weird challenges other people don't, you know, like, like I was mentioning the media that my kids get in preschool of like, you know, I, their, their teacher is amazing and wonderful, but she doesn't think about the fact that like my kid feels bad because all the books feature a mama, a mom and a dad. And that's not our situation. And it's so important. Like I always say this, like, even if like as an educator, right, especially as an educator, you should be showing all different kinds of families and, you know, all different kinds of people and not even just the situations that are in your classroom, because like kids are going to see those situations Mm -hmm. in life. And I feel the same way about like, in your personal, you know, book reading with your kids or with the kids in your lives, like, just because no one like no one in their family is divorce doesn't mean that I shouldn't read them a book where there's a family who's divorced because like they're going to encounter people in the world and that you can fill that in the blank with any you know any identity right mm-hmm. um and I think it's important to that it's like a lot of people will be like oh that book's not for me you know it's meant for someone who's experiencing that and like no like your kids are gonna see those people in the world and that way if they've already read that book then instead of being like oh that's weird it's like oh yeah I read a book and you know Sally's parents were like that too or whatever Mm -hmm. and so I think that that kind of representation is so important and like we said you know there's such a lack of of those of good books um that represent that and especially with I don't even know any with incidental representation but uh you know I think I think we really need need that. I know you mentioned earlier about dealing with the court and things like that. I'm curious, like, was there uh, was there uh, like a custody? I don't want to say custody battle. That sounds so intense. Like it's a <laughs> Pokemon battle. There's music. I don't know. You know, was there like a dispute over that? And sort of like, how did that you know affect affect the kids? Sure. Yeah. So luckily, the kids were never aware of, oh, of any of what was going on. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, like we worked very hard to make sure that they weren't aware of that. The difficult part was that, you know, and, and this was like a symptom of what had been a reason for us splitting up is like, we would have very direct conversations. We would agree on things. And then, you know, other people would sort of like, would sort of come in and start like influencing my ex. And so then suddenly we'd show up in court and, I'd be expecting like this thing we had talked about and laid out. One thing, and then, yeah. 
she'd come in with like um, with her attorney who I who my impression of this woman and actually I've she was so difficult. I've actually referred a lot of my friends to her because she made my life such hell. I was like, she's great. She's <laughs> you should all work with her. She she oh like, was so difficult to me. So I know she'll I know she really does well for your clients. But we'd come in and we'd have something that we settled so that we settled on. And again, it's like she's coming from her background and her perspective. And she'd be like, no, I don't like that arrangement. That's that's not what you should do. So that's where <laughs> it got really, really tricky for us, where there was all this stuff that like I kept feeling. And and eventually, you know, it was hard for me. But I realized like, oh, it's more productive for both of us. We're supposed we're supposed to, you know, for the courts, we're not supposed to have family dinners and we're <laughs> supposed to let the lawyers talk through each other. We're not supposed to talk to each other. And so that was like, that was the really, really tough part. And then coming into, you know, when it came time to hammering things out with the probation officers, there were some things that like the probation officers brought a lot of personal bias. You know, we had one woman who didn't believe in divorce. Mm. And in my head, I'm like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in Alice in Wonderland or the Matrix. Like, why do you have this job if you don't believe in divorce? And you're sitting here lecturing me for being the one that cheated. And suddenly like, oh feel like it's okay and in your purview to take away a bunch of things that we had agreed on for oh me. So, gosh. but eventually we got to a good place. It was very stressful. It was really difficult, but in the end, like I feel really good about, you know, there are some things I would love to revisit, but I feel good about our general arrangement, which is something that Penny, my ex had proposed and I really felt comfortable with it. And I also feel like it was really good that it, that the proposal for our visiting arrangement for regular times actually came from her. I feel like that was really important. And I think it's, it just, it works well for our kids. It works well for us, but it took a long time to get there. And I feel like we would have gotten there sooner if instead of going through the court system, we had just sat down with a lawyer of the day at the courthouse and paid the like $250 for filing and hammered it out that way. I think it would have been easier for us. I feel like having so many outside parties inject their personal biases really ended up doing us a disservice. And I don't know about for her, but for me, I mean, like I said, I ended up needing a lot of therapy afterwards because you can only have an officer of the court tell you to your face that you're a bad mother so many times before it starts to really mess with your head. Gosh. Mm Mm-hmm horrible i you know it's just i mean this is um, a topic for another episode but it just frustrates me how many people who are supposed to be in position who are in positions of power and are supposed to be there to help us do not do so often make things worse it's very frustrating but anyway i'll do my whole like burn down the system talk another time I know. um well <laughs> other circumstance i would be trying to extend the person grace and being like well i understand what you see every but in the moment like you know you know this time a year ago it's yeah it's being directed at me and i'm living it and i'm like wait you're already having enough like enough of a hard time and your own emotions yeah and sort of like talking about that like and obviously like the the kids were young and so they're the way they're processing it you know, was maybe different than if they were older, but, you know, obviously like even a divorce on the best of terms or everything's mutual, right. There's still going to be like a lot of emotions. And so sort of like, how did you, you know, balance like having your own feelings about things and maybe your kids feeling things. And like, did you talk to them about how you were feeling or, you know, how, how did that kind of go? Yeah. I, I was like very like stoic and matter of fact, like Mm. I kept it kind of all business with them. I mean, (laughs) I, I like shower them with love. Like I'm a very mushy mom, but when it came to this, it was very like, these are the facts. Like, 
these are the facts. Like, it's very exciting. Dada lives, it has a new apartment and it's really great. And like keeping it positive in terms of like my own feelings of frustration or anger or grief or like joy or whatever I was feeling. That's where like, that's for me to parse out like in my support group or, or, you know, I don't have a therapist right now, but at mm. the time when I had a therapist, those were the places it's not appropriate or okay yeah. to like pour that into my children. And just having seen people close to me who grew up with parents who are really contentious, who let the kids in on stuff that they shouldn't have. Like I was not going to, I was not going to do that to my kids. I, at the end of the day, I want my kids to just be surrounded by love and know that they have two parents who love each other. Mm. If I say something disparaging about their dad or their dada or something that, that hurts them. And that's the point I try to make to other people who, you know, think that they're being supportive or helping. Like it might feel great to you to say that, but at the end of the day, like, you are hurting my feelings, but you're hurting my children and you're hurting my family. Yeah. And depending on how how much of an ass you're being about it, you could also be like getting me dragged back into court. <laughs> I just want my kids to grow up thinking, to grow up, not thinking, grow up knowing they have two parents who love them, who will always support the two of them, who are there to make their lives the best possible. And they're, especially being this young, I'm not there to, I, I'm not going to poison them against their other parent or turn them. There's no, yeah. that, that's not productive. We, I, I want them to always love both of their parents and, and, and keep their yeah. innocence about it. You know? Yeah. I think that there's also like, like, I think what you said is really important about like, you know, I think it's important not to cross boundaries with kids as far as like, they're your kids. They're not your therapist. They're not like, you can be friendly with your kids. But like, I think I have this problem with my mom sometimes where like, she thinks we're like best friends. And I'm like, this is something you should be talking to a therapist or a friend about like, not me. (laughs) Um, And uh, obviously I'm an adult, so it's different. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, but, you know, I think that there's lines, especially with younger kids where like, you don't want to, like you said, like say, like if you're feeling like, Oh, I'm so mad at my partner right now, like you don't need to tell your kid that. But I also think on the flip side, like it's okay. Right. If you're, let's say you're crying because you're upset about this thing. Like, I think it's also important to be vulnerable and be like, yeah, I'm sad. uh, You know, and maybe, you know, depending on, what the thing is in relation to that maybe you don't need to say what it is just be like yeah I'm feeling sad right now or like I'm sad about this thing and I think that's Mm -hmm. also really important to like there's like a a line between like giving too much information and like you know that might negatively affect the kids um and and also being like emotionally vulnerable which I think is really important because like how are they going to know that they can have emotions about whatever's happening yeah and that's that's a really that's a really good point and that's a really tough balance for me to strike because I feel like in other areas, like I'm really good at, you know, I'm really good at looking them in the eyes and being like, I feel so frustrated that you (laughs) the whole weekend you were away cleaning your playroom and you came home and dumped every toy out. Like I feel frustrated and a little bit sad. No. So it's just, you know, it's such an interesting point you make up because I feel like I am so conscientious about other other parts of like letting them see that I'm human and I'm flawed and I can be vulnerable or feel sad. Yeah. But like when it came to, when it comes to being separated from, from their, from their dada and like us living 
just being co-parents, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, these are the facts, children. <laughs> you are loved and we live in different places. And isn't that exciting for you that you have double the toys of other kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think it can be like really, it can be really tricky. I, I feel like there are certain things, like you said, like where it can be really easy to be emotionally vulnerable. And then, you know, there are certain times where it's like, you don't want it. You're like, don't want to cross that line. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's funny. I'm like, there were a handful of times where I was, you know, upset because something happened. And it's funny because like, it's so interesting. Like I, I've been on testosterone for like, I don't know, six, seven years. I just stopped counting Mm -hmm. a long time. And uh, before I was on testosterone, I, my, the way that I would react to things was by crying. And now I'm much more like logical and like, just like okay that's what's happening whatever and I can like keep a cool head and it's very interesting like just personally like differences but there were times before I was on testosterone uh one time that's how I found out I missed my shot that week I started crying and I was like what is happening but I was with I was with one of the kids and something happened somebody yelled at me and like uh, just it had had this very aggressive you know a white cis man of course Mm -hmm. uh yelled at me about something and I was very you know just emotional and I was just like I was just sitting there crying and I was like this is a teaching moment like Seth is crying because he's sad because somebody yelled at him. It was like as I'm weeping, I was like, and then she, oh my god, Micah, she just turned five the other day, which I don't agree with. I started when she was eight months, and uh, she was two and a half at the time, and she was like, hug, and then just like gave me a hug, patted me on the back. It was so sweet. And she goes, all better, and I was just like, you have more emotional intelligence than some adults, Micah. <laughs> but I think like those moments are, you know so so important to be when you can be emotionally vulnerable because like I think that's where we get especially like as a man I'm like I I want to let you know people are like it's okay like I cry and I'm a man mm-hmm. and that can happen and that's fine but anyway so I, I know you mentioned you talked about a little bit about this earlier but I'm going to talk a little bit about like the intersection of this experience with like your identity as a queer person and like how how do you feel you know do, I mean if you do like do you feel that that presented like any additional challenges or that that your experience was different because of that as opposed to someone who wasn't yeah I mean definitely you know I I already mentioned a little bit about some of the challenges mm-hmm. we faced in the court system in terms of people trying to box us each in into into roles and sort of projecting things onto us like in terms of heterosexual relationships yeah another you know there was also there's also this guilt of like being being a queer family it's like there was this weird guilt of like of like oh we oh we failed that at first and now I realize though that like we didn't fail we've succeeded and we're presenting a really good model and we've had in other queer divorced families really good models of how to be successful co-parents and how and how to have a productive relationship that's kid focused. And I got that much more from my network of like other queer divorced parents than I got from, sorry, friends, yeah. I love you. But from my, from my straight pair, parent friends <laughs> who are divorced. Um, and I think that's because of, you know, we talk a lot about, we were talking before we started recording about like all the ways that when you're queer, like you kind of over communicate, you work really hard at, at like, community community care and mutual aid and so I felt like we had some of these mm-hmm. tools in our toolkit that I don't think if I was a, a straight cisgender person would have been accessible to me there was you know there was also lots of educational opportunities because for some reason 
even from other queer people who had known us for years and who knew my background, everybody assumed that we separated because my um, ex transitioned. And it's like, no. Mm. So that was something that no. was really, <laughs> yeah. really, really difficult to parse and also like started to become for me a thing of it took me a while to get there of like, you know, I have to stop caring so much what other people think of me and just living my truth. Yeah. And also like the terms of us <laughs> separating are actually not anybody else's business. And we both know the truth. We're both yep. open about why why things didn't work. And it just, you know, this was a really good, this experience and this process. And as we continue <laughs> to grow as co-parents has been a really good reminder to me of like not listening to outside voices and outside pressure and yeah. doing what is best at the end of the day for our children and our family. Yeah, I, I think that can be so hard just like as a lesson to learn in general to like not, you know, to know what, kind of silence those outside voices know what is like true for you and right for you. And because I, spe- I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people had had stuff to say about what you should be doing or. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And there's a whole other conversation we can have about like the damaging narratives in, in pop media that made even other queer and trans people like automatically assume and project weird narratives that weren't there onto us. And at the end of the day, it's just that like we're two people who were not communicating Um, And not modeling a healthy, productive, good relationship for our children by living in the same space anymore. Being separated, we do do that now. Like our kids get to see a mama and a dada who can make decisions together, who can, who get along and who even when they, because it's not all sunshine and rainbows, who even when they still have disagreements because we're both human, can actually Mm -hmm. resolve them and model resolving them. (laughs) in front of our kids. Yeah. And that's so important. And like we keep saying, it's just like, I think it's so important. And there is this, I feel like in media, there's this idea that like you get separated because you hate each other and you can't get along and you're always fighting about everything. And I'm like, no, like for some people it's it's better for everybody that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can still, you know, be involved as a family together and, you know, have this kind of family structure. So (laughs) I don't know in what context this would happen, but if, you know, random kid just ran up to you and was like, hey, what's divorce? You know, how how would you explain explain what it is to, to a kid who maybe isn't experiencing it? Sure. So it's funny because I've actually had to have this conversation um, with small people in my life. And the way I say it is, is like divorce is what happens when your parents, to be the best grownups they can be for you, recognize that it, it's better to be to change their relationship. It's better to, mm-hmm. they're going to be a better mama, dada, zazi, ima, papa by not being in the same space necessarily or not having the same arrangement. Yeah. And it's really about like how much they love you. And it's in many mm. ways, like with us, I really see our separation, divorce, whatever you want to call it, as an act of love for our children. Because I again, it's about putting our kids first. And I hope no one thinks I'm being cliched, but like this is the truth. It was about doing what was absolutely the best for our two kids. And that was us not being together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you said uh, you did give a, a piece of advice earlier, but I'm curious if you have any other, you know, advice for, you know, parents who might currently be uh, going through a divorce. One big thing is even if things are like super amicable and like things get complicated when lawyers get involved and court gets involved. So document everything and just for like, 
for the protection of both of you, communicate via text or via email or via, um, you know, if your yeah, court like system written. family wizard, it's just the best way to protect both of you. And ultimately, like when it comes down to hashing out visitation or custody agreements or things about like who pays for what insurance, it's just better to have everything in writing because things can get lost. You know, like I said, I we had so many conversations in person and we would hash things out and then we'd go to court and be like, wait, what? <laughs> that's, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. So it's my big thing is just oh like find gosh. a way to document document everything, even if you're on the most wonderfully amicable terms, because it just is going to serve both of you better in the long run. Yeah, I think that's I think that's good advice for like a lot of things. <laughs> I'm yeah, currently I mean, going I'm, through a legal a legal situation, and I'm just like we're only communicating through email. <laughs> like I need everything yeah. written down. <laughs> and also, like I mean, I said it before, but I'll say it again. But don't don't talk sh. Blah, blah, blah. I'm trying so hard to control my sailor mouth. Don't talk. Oh my god, you can you can curse. It's okay. Your kids are in front of your kids. Just don't don't do it. Yeah. Just like yeah, absolutely. As frustrated or join a support group. I mean, I think that's good advice for any parent. Like, if you're upset with your partner, don't put that on your kid. They're not your therapist. Yeah. They're not your best friend. It's not appropriate. And I yeah. think we do that a lot. And like we were saying, like there's that line of like you can say, "Hey, I'm upset," but don't maybe don't say, "I'm upset because I'm mad at them because they did this and they're so irresponsible." Like. You don't need to do that. So as we're sort of wrapping things up, I was not able to find any good representation, but if you have any uh, ideas for books or resources, he shows anything that you think could be helpful, either representation-wise or, you know, resource-wise for adults or kids. Yeah, so I love Todd Parr's The Family Book. I'm mm -hmm. a huge Todd Parr fan. Um, and then I actually, I'm going through and reading them all right now. My amazing boss just sent me a bunch of book recommendations I'm going to finish looking through and then I'll, I can mail you a list. And then yes, funny please. enough, my ex actually stumbled upon this like hashtag genius idea where we realized the, the spot series of board books, they have a lot of books mm -hmm. where like spot has just a day with mama and other books where spot has just a day oh. with Dada. And so we've started to pair those and our kids made the connection and got really excited and, you know, it's not an intentional representation. Aww. It's not meant this way, but it works for our family. And especially because our kids are three and four, where our kids get so excited yeah. reading them. Like, we just had a mama day. Or like, look, Spot's having a dada day. We're having a dada day. <laughs> and so that's just one that, like, it actually took our, our kids pointing that out to us for us to realize well it's so funny because like a lot of times there will be books where there's representation of all different things and like it maybe that wasn't the intention but like there are you know you have to dig for them and but there are definitely books where it like the, the mother is the only person in the book right and mm -hmm. so we can spin that like oh they're just it's a single parent or oh but like i we shouldn't have to <laughs> we shouldn't ha we should have actual representation but in media like my kids love the pete the cat series on amazon prime and that's been one other place where like it's really cool there's a lot of different kinds of families represented i mean granted they're, they're all animals but like sally has two dads there's an, another um one of the prairie dogs has a disabled parent. Gustav the platypus, its mom is deployed. So most episodes, it's just his dad solo parenting. And, you know, the episodes are short and cute. And, you know, it's got its issues. Season one's a little bit better than season two. But it's that's been another place where it's <laughs> like, a, like fun, like, oh, aha, representation, especially like the episode with Gustav's, the 
first episode where we met Gustav's family and like the mama's just not there and he FaceTimes her sometimes, but that was the most similar to our situation to find. Yeah, I, I love I, that's one that I haven't heard of. And that sounds I have to look into that one. Last question. I know you talked a little about PJ Library. So you can talk more about that if you want. But uh, do you have any, you know, other personal projects or work that you want to plug? And where can people find you on the internet if you would like to be found? Sure. So, um, so yes, uh, please, if if you are Jewishly connected in any way, like sign up for PJ Library or sign up your friends, kids, um, I will shout out I executive produce um, a storytelling podcast called Have I Got a Story for You? For PJ, and it's funded by PJ Library. It's mm-hmm. kid focused. It's really fun. You don't need to be Jewish to enjoy it, but like your kids will get a kick out of the representation of hearing characters celebrate Shabbat, like in the future on the moon. Or, but it's really fun, <laughs> really cute, and it makes me happy to work on and produce. And I'd love for people to check it out. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts um, or visit gotastorypodcast.com. Yeah. And then if you, if you want to find like my everyday, mom life instagram account it's at just by a ghost town like like hey just go buy a ghost town and live on your own um and i in my stories <laughs> i post more like good inclusive um parenting resources and content and political rants uh but mm-hmm. my feed is mainly like here <laughs> hey if you're a single parent and you're really strapped for time here like here's a dinner you can make for five dollars that uses one one pan worth of ingredients i can i can use that that advice too (laughs) oh my gosh well anyway thank you so much for being here it's been such a pleasure thank you thank you so much Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Rat Child Podcast. Again, I have to apologize about my audio quality. I am again at work. (laughs) So yeah, we have a couple of announcements today. First of all, we have a giveaway going on right now, actually about today's episode of Divorce. So we have two books, uh, actually two of the books that we will be featuring in our Way to Go and Room to Grow episode, spoilers, um, about divorce that are geared towards families um, who are currently going through a divorce or maybe have gone through a divorce um they're really really great books so definitely check that out you can find information about that on our facebook or instagram and those are at rad child podcast we also have a lot of giveaways that are going to be coming up so definitely look out for those so today i actually wanted to take a minute and highlight some of our patreon rewards so for folks who might not be familiar with the way patreon works basically it's a way to support uh, things that you love so you can choose to give a monthly donation of any amount and in exchange you get some awesome rewards so i would like to tell you a little bit about some of those rewards um so for one dollar a month which is twelve dollars a year uh, not that much money at all you can get access to our blooper reels so every other month i release a reel of bloopers they are very silly they're mostly me telling ridiculous anecdotes i don't know why i said that word like that um for five dollars a month you get the bloopers in addition to monthly coloring pages that have to do with our month's theme one of our month's themes they are made by my wonderful wife uh, and editor of our way to go and room to grow podcast episodes Catherine gilbert who in addition to editing things uh is also a wonderful graphic designer so she makes those they're really awesome you can print them out you can use them as many times as you want so that's pretty awesome for ten dollars a month you can 
get a monthly recorded story time with me. So uh, basically I read one of the books that we reviewed uh, for the month uh, and you can, again, it's a video, watch it as many times as you want for $15 a month. And again, all of these are stacking. So for $15 a month, you get everything I already said. Uh, plus um, there's a limited spots for a book club uh, with me where basically we will read a children's book and talk about it. The book club, excuse me, is the only thing that's not stacking. So you will only be in the book club if you select that tier. For $20 a month, you get what I'm calling Seth's Picks three times a year. Uh, so basically Seth's Picks are, uh, you are gonna get something in the mail three times a year. So that might be a children's book, that might be a book for adults, that might be a toy. Uh, basically they're just things that I think are really cool. And yeah, so you get fun stuff in the mail, again, in addition to all of those things I've mentioned, aside from the book club. And also for $20 a month and above, you also get a lifetime 25% off all merch. Um, so that's pretty awesome too. So for $50 a month, you get Seth's Picks six times a year plus everything else. And then for $100 a month, you get Seth's Picks every month, 12 times a year. So yeah, definitely check out our Patreon. Uh, even if you donate a dollar a month, it really, really makes a difference to us. Again, you know, we, we did have the Kickstarter recently, um, but of course that money, once it's gone, it's gone. So having recurring donations really means a lot to us. It really helps us to keep the podcast going. Speaking of money things, I would again like to shout out the Upford Network, which is the podcasting network we're a part of. Um, and right now they are having, I mean, we, I'm a part of it, <laughs> uh, we're having a fundraiser uh, to help us get a new computer uh, and some new things for the studio, the podcasting studio that we have here in Montreal. Um, so if you are uh, willing to help with that, willing and able, that would be amazing. Uh, you can go to Indiegogo and just search Upford Network, or you can click on the link in the show notes. All of the equipment we currently have that we're replacing is going to be donated to a, a local um, youth center. So we're really excited about that. As always, also a reminder that if you go to akidsbookabout.com uh, and purchase some of their awesome, awesome books, uh, like A Kid's Book About Divorce, you can use the discount code 2021RADCHILD upon checkout to get $5 off. Uh, so definitely do that because their books are stellar. And other than that, it's just the regular stuff. Sorry, this was such a long one, but I really wanted to tell you about those Patreon rewards because they're awesome. Uh, and I want to send stuff in the mail to people. I just really like sending care packages. So uh, yeah, just the usual stuff. If you want to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, you can do so um, by going to at radchildpodcast. Uh, if you would like to contact us, you can either email us uh, by emailing radchildpodcast.gmail.com or going to our website www.radchildpodcast.com and clicking on the contact us section. There's a little form you can fill out there and there's also information about how to be a guest if you would like to be a guest. We're always looking uh, for folks to come on the show and talk about their experiences and their insights. So definitely uh, check that out. Yeah, that's about it for me. I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Crystal and then we'll get back to the second half of the show. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? 
Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books... We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. All right, so welcome back to the second half of the episode. I'm here with another wonderful guest who I'm going to invite to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Shelby. I um, use she, her, or they, them pronouns. I am originally from Pennsylvania in the United States, but I live in Alabama now. And kind of the extent of my relationship with kids is I occasionally do um, outreach about sciences. Um, So we do your normal, like, reptile show where we kind of, you know, expose kids to reptiles, help them be maybe less frightened of them. And sometimes we bring mammals and, um, but mostly my relationship to kids begins and ends with my niece and nephew. So I have a niece, Abby, who's two and a half, I think. And then my nephew, Gregory just turned eight. Um, and then my relationship with this team. Yeah. They're both amazing. They're like both at great ages to get like different (laughs) different yeah. milestones. It's awesome. Yeah. We, we just, I just started DMing, like playing D and D with Gregory and Abby loves like dress up. So we, we kind of have like cosplay nerd moments with her and it's, it, they're awesome. Yes. I love that so much. Kat and I used to joke that if we had kids, it would solely be to just dress them up, which oh, is yeah. not a good reason to have kids, which is why we don't have kids. Well, your children <laughs> are not dolls. But Carly and I also have that like huge urge where we're like, oh, I want to buy those tiny shoes. They're yeah, so right. Cute. That's why it's good to have kids in your life because then yeah. you can buy the tiny shoes for someone else. Yep, exactly. Uh, like we saw uh, this adorable baby Yoda outfit the other day and we just bought it for oh, my nephew. Well, yep. Great. And it's like, let's just buy this. <laughs> I have to buy this so someone in my life is getting it. Correct. Oh my gosh. So I have experienced divorce as both a child and an adult um, through, you know, several divorces. And I also have, you know, I guess what many people consider like a very non-traditional family structure where I have, you know, my biological parents, but I also have my stepmother and my stepsister who I still remain in close contact with on my dad's side. And I have a stepfather and step sort of family on my mother's side and uh, like all that sort of stuff. And we all kind of maintain contact and exist as sort of a, you know, very large family unit. And so that's kind of, (laughs) I guess, unique a little bit. Yeah. I have step parents on both sides, I guess. That's just the easiest way to put it. And then on on one side, (laughs) I have multiple step parents. Yeah, I guess more recently I've gone through like divorce as an adult child of parents. So I have that experience as well. Yeah, it must be like interesting to kind of, you know, obviously it would be different either. It's a different experience either way, but like to experience that as a kid versus as an adult. My dad passed away when I was 14 and my mom got remarried when I was I mean, pretty shortly after that, I think it was like 17, like a couple years after. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it was very different 
right like dealing with that as an adult than it would have yeah. been even mm-hmm. if she had gotten remarried when I was 14 like I think it would have been so different right mm-hmm. like the age you know it's it's just that you know you have different coping mechanisms and different ability to kind of like you know different things going on and everything's um, just so much more complicated as an adult yeah too. yeah totally so uh before we before we kind of dive into the topic i ask the same question every every episode because we talk about a lot about like you know these sort of tricky questions that kids ask and the topics that are a little hard to talk to kids about so i'm curious in your interactions with kids if you've ever had a time where a kid asked you a question that like kind of caught you off guard or you wouldn't really weren't really prepared to answer well, I feel like that happens to me a lot, but like the, the, I guess the most like existential question that I didn't know how to answer. I remember once we were doing, it was a discovery day and I, um, so we had, you know, I think three or five different big snakes that we had out and we take them outside and they just, it's, I think for kids between the ages of like two and eight and they come with their parents and there's a bunch of different like science modules. So we had one like fossil station, one reptile station, mm-hmm. um, so on and so forth. And so I was working the reptile station and I remember I was holding the big red tailed boa that we have. It was about, you know, 25 pounds. And um, I was talking about endangered reptiles and a kid mm-hmm. asked me like just straight up, why are humans making everything extinct? And I'm assuming that they had come from oh the fossil God. station. And I just very clearly remember like meeting eyes with the mother of the child over the kid's head and being like blank mm-hmm. because I had no idea what to say. Uh, she had no idea what to say. And like, <laughs> it was just like, as a scientist, I have like lots of moral ground to stand on in this question. Right. Like I have, yeah. I can talk very extensively about, you know, deforestation and habitat destruction and all this stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, how, how do I, how do uh, I have this conversation with, you know, a kid that I don't know in, you know, five, the five minutes that I'm going to have with him. And um, yeah, I think uh, we talk about that a lot where like, it's so hard in when you're an educator, especially or in any circumstance where you're with kids that aren't your own, or you don't know yeah. super well about like the values of their family, where like, you're like, I don't know, I know the answer to this question. But like, uh, I don't know what is appropriate to tell you in yeah. this moment. And you don't yeah. want to overstep any boundaries that like, yeah, exactly. And like, I knew, obviously, that the child had learned, you know, what the word extinct meant or, you know, knew the word extinct, but I don't know if they know like the actual implications of that. Like they're no longer alive and all (laughs) of that. And I think I just ended up being like, you know, right now humans take up a lot of space and sometimes that means there's not enough space for other things. And Mm. it's kind of sad, but we don't always do what's best for other animals and just like, left it at that yeah tried to be honest but not well that's the other thing too is like giving that amount of information they're looking for like often i'll be like you know i think a great way to answer is be like well what do you already know about that or like what do you want mm-hmm. to know about that be- to make sure we're giving them the information they're looking for because like sometimes they're just looking for a simple answer and we don't need to give them our whole deforestation you know speech yeah. um right and, uh, the planet is dying. yeah exactly and and so i think i mean that sounds like that was a great a great answer so I know you you kind of talked about it a little bit, but can you kind of 
tell us a little bit more about like your experience with your, you know, your parents' divorce as, uh, I guess as a kid, we'll talk about that one. <laughs> like how old were you and sort of like, how did you take it? And I don't know if you, I can't remember if you have, if you have said you had siblings and sort of how they took it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I was somewhere between the ages of like five to seven. It's sort of all kind of fuzzy now when exactly things happen. So I have an approximate timeline and I am the only child between my biological parents. And I think kind of a lot of the reason why it was more drawn out or I remember it being drawn out was Mm -hmm. because they were trying very hard to like make it as easy on me as possible. Um, So we had like a longer period where they were separated, but they weren't divorced um, and they were just trying to co-parent and maybe existing as that, like they were just separated. And then eventually we went through they went through like the full divorce. Mostly I remember being upset because we would have to, like I, we would have to move and I wouldn't get to keep my chicken. Like we had to, you know, leave our, our coop of chickens with the home that we lived in at the time. And that was what I was the most upset about. Um, So I think they did a really good job at like making sure that I knew that things were changing, but nothing was really like breaking down. Um, I still had, you know, two parents and I was just existing in different spaces with them. Yeah, totally. So I'm curious, you spoke a little bit about your kind of family structure, but um, I'm curious to hear sort of more about what your what your family kind of looks like. So I have my dad, my biological dad. And on his side, I have my stepmother, Michelle, who mm-hmm. uh, he married. He, he um, She came into my life, I think, when I was eight after my parents divorced um, and they were together for, I want to say eight or nine years before they got married. And with my stepmother, Michelle came my sister, Thea, who um, is a year younger than me. So she would have been seven. She, when I first, I guess I had known her before then. So when I, when she like moved in with us, she would have been Mm -hmm. seven. And later my dad has like legally adopted her. So she is, my legal full sister. Um, okay. But I also just call her my sister because I've known her since I was five and you know, she is. And then on my mom's side, I have my stepdad also named Dave. My dad's name is Dave. (laughs) And, um, my stepsister, Stephanie, who is, I think six years older than me. Um, so she's in her like thirties and she, her husband, she has a husband and a daughter. So I have Mm -hmm. another niece named uh, Savannah. And then (laughs) also on my dad's side, since, uh, he has been divorced, I think almost two years now from his second marriage with my stepmother, Michelle, he uh, just got engaged. Actually, his fiance's name is coincidentally also Michelle. (laughs) <laughs> we have a lot of repeated names so it gets a little so funny and then uh, she has a daughter who is about i think 13 so altogether, i think i have three stepsisters but from different areas of this the tree at that at this point and so like i i guess i'm sort of like the fulcrum through which they all kind of exist because you know mm-hmm. my parent my biological mom and my biological dad do they are like friends and they uh, they've always co-parented and they coexist I guess the most cohesively um but Mm -hmm. certain other sections don't necessarily want to interact with each other all the time yeah um and so we have like you know joint holidays and 
uh, I go visit somebody some one year and the next people the next and that sort of thing. Um, but it works out pretty well. And we're like a big old, they get together for important <laughs> events and things like that. So the big awesome. old family. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> There's lots of people, good, which is nice. Yeah, I, you know, I, that's part of what I liked about having, I mean, and I'm lucky in that, like, I like my stepdad and the family's really nice, but it was fun to like, you know, gain another family. It was mm-hmm. like, I mean, luckily, again, they were nice people. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it was cool. I was like, now I get, a, you know, another grandma and like another, you know, like I get cousins, yeah. a lot of cousins. And in a way, like it can be really positive. And I think that's like a good, you know, assuming that, you know, again, they're nice people. Yeah. I think that's a really like a good way to spin it with kids. Like you get like a whole nother family. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. It, extra birthdays, it, extra Christmases. Yeah. More presents, spin it that way. They'll yeah. love that. <laughs> More attention. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's really a, a great way to kind of make it into a positive thing. And it, it's funny because I was saying yesterday, I don't know where. I don't know if it was like a Facebook post or like if someone was telling me this, but I recently heard this story or read this story where there was a. a educator and was reading a book and it was about families and they asked you know if anybody had I don't know how it came up but one of the kids was like oh I have two moms and a little boy started crying and the teacher was like what's wrong and he was like I want two moms that's not fair I only have one (laughs) I love that so much yeah like cool to have extra parents it's not just like oh that's weird it's like that's not fair I want to (laughs) yeah the the interaction is not you're weird because you're different it's like no. i want to be i want to have what you yeah. have yeah yeah i'm curious like when you were a kid uh how you know if your parents like how you found out about their divorce like did you did they talk to you did they sit down and talk to you about it you know and if so like how did that conversation go yeah so they were always really upfront with me when i was a kid um and i think they i, I don't remember exactly but i'm pretty sure they even talked to me um like before the period of separation where they were like mm. you know we're kind of unhappy right now and we're going to try this out to see if it's something that we want to do long-term. Like if our family can, Mm -hmm. um, we can kind of become happier in this form and not fully divorced. Um, And so they were always really upfront about that. And they then kind of came to the conclusion that it wasn't, it still really wasn't working and it, they yeah. were having, you know, more issues kind of navigating the state of continued separation and just wanted to end up doing mm-hmm. the, um, the, you know, the full divorce. And um, it was, I don't remember it being difficult at all. Like they sat me down together. We had a couple conversations. I, I think, of course, like I didn't understand fully what it meant, but it yeah. was never, there was never like infighting or things like that um before the divorce Mm -hmm. it was always very cohesive yeah that's awesome i think it's so important to like be upfront with your kids and be honest about Mm -hmm. what's going on because like kids are so smart and they figure it out and like i you know i i think also it's just like they're people and it affects them they deserve to know what's going on and like it's important to give them the tools to deal with the things that they're going through too like if they don't know what's happening they may not know like have the source for these weird emotions that they're feeling because kids are really emotive like that and yeah and they pick up stuff yeah 
so it was there a custody battle at all and um battle is such an intense word uh i feel like it's a pokemon battle like your parents are like across from yeah each other. i don't know but anyway and if so sort of like how did that affect you um so there there wasn't necessarily a custody battle my parents had a custody agreement um and you know they went to um i guess mediation in court mm-hmm. to kind of finalize that agreement but it wasn't you know, your stereotypical, like you go into court and they're screaming at each other, like mediations, just that they're sitting at a table and they're making sure in writing that the things they want are written down so that there's a way Mm -hmm. to make sure it's happening. And, you know, as a kid, I was never a part of that. Like now as an adult, I know that that happened and I know that that existed, but you know, as a kid, it was just like, you know, I'm going to split my time between the two of them. And that's that, you know, they were very, very cognizant that like, they wanted me to have enough time with both of them. And I think it was worthwhile. It was good. It was good for a while. And then um, the setup that we had was I spent Mondays and Wednesdays with my mother, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays with my dad. And then every other Friday and Mm -hmm. weekend, I alternated. And so before I was in school or really before school, like became all consuming as school does, that was fine. As you know, school started to get more challenging. It was difficult for me because there was never really like consistency, I guess. Um, And one of the things that I think now was like, I didn't really have a sense of home when I was younger mm. because I, I had two, like I had separate places and yeah, you're moving back and forth a lot every other day. Basically I'm in a different bed. Mm-hmm. And so that was, it's like weird to look back at it now because when I was a kid, I was just living through it and it was fine. But now I can see how much I struggled with like the lack of kind of stability. Um, and like once I think when I was about 14, we switched kind of agreements to where I spent alternating like one whole week at a parent and then the weekend with the other parent. And that was so much better. My grades like rapidly improved and I was able to focus and it was just like, (laughs) yeah, there was so much less anxiety about like if I've forgotten something at my mom's house the previous day, but now couldn't go get it because I was at dad's and like, just like all that sort of stuff as a child with what was at that time, undiagnosed ADHD as yeah. you probably know, I we are extremely forgetful and like just the <laughs> lack of routine was horrible. For me. <laughs> yeah. And so that mm-hmm. that was hard. Our last guest today, uh, Allie, we were talking about um, how how important routine is for kids, and I think it's important for any mm-hmm. any kid, but especially like um, one of their kids is on the autism spectrum. Uh, mm-hmm. So especially like for kids with different uh, access needs like that, like uh, we we're talking about ADHD and things like that, and just like for kids in general, like structure and consistency is so important, and any kind of like mm-hmm. break in that routine um, can be really difficult. And so I think that that's something that like is so important to think about when you know you're you're going through things like this where things are changing is like trying to keep it as consistent as possible um, yep. and, and as much of a routine as possible for sure. Did you have something else to say? I guess one last comment. And like, I think mm-hmm. that they won't, and they definitely always wanted to do like what was easiest for me and what, you know, gave them equal time. But I think at some mm-hmm. point you want to draw a line in the sand that is like, you know, better for the success of your child and what might fit their needs yeah. versus just like 50, 50 time. 
because that might not always be the best situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to keep the kids in, you know, in mind. And I think, you know, it's a lot of people will say like, you know, put the kids first and all that. And I think that your needs are also important too. And not to say that you need to forget your needs, but I think putting the needs of your child um, or like considering the needs of your child, you know, is also really, really important. So I know you mentioned that you have step siblings. And so like, you know, what was your kind of relationship with them growing up and how, and I guess also your, your step parents and how has that relationship, like, has it changed or shifted as you've gotten older? Yeah. Um, so I, my stepsister Stephanie and my stepsister Annalise have both come into my life like more recently. So I could really oh, okay. only talk about um, my sis- my sister Thea, who mm-hmm. um, became my stepsister, I think when I was eight and, you know, obviously is still in my life. And so we had a really great relationship growing up together. Like I was an only child and she was an only child. And so we mm-hmm. kind of met at this point where kids naturally, like I was at that age where I really, really wanted a sibling anyway. And so I felt <laughs> like I kind of lucked out because I got a sibling and she was only a year younger than me. So I didn't have to go through the whole phase of like her being a baby and not able to like play with me. <laughs> and so we mm-hmm. really, we meshed really well, really quickly. And like, we have a lot of the same interests. We're both vaguely creative types. We're both queer people. And so we were just like Mm. a house on fire. Basically we got along really well. Um, and we still did. (laughs) Uh, she is marginally more cooler than I am. And uh, she lives in New York. (laughs) And so she's cool and awesome. And she's a cosmetologist (laughs) there. Um, I'm just a dweeb who studies science for a living. I know Shelby. Shelby's cool, everybody. We have, you know, weekly calls and we mm-hmm. play we play Fortnite together. She trounces me on <laughs> Fortnite like every other week. Um, and we're still really close. And I think that relationship is something that I really like cherished growing up and still really cherish. Um, she is like, she's my sister, you know, um, Regardless of the whole yeah. like, adoption situation, she she would be what I consider my sister. Um, all of them would mm-hmm. be, of course, but I've known her the longest. My sister, my stepsister Stephanie, I think I want to say under 10 years, between five and 10 years. Uh, it's been between five and 10 years mm-hmm. since my mom and my stepdad have gotten married. And because she's older than me, we have mm-hmm. more of a like, I guess mentor sort of relationship. I'm close to her and her daughter. Um, Her daughter, I think is 14. So I guess her daughter's closer in age to me, maybe. Okay. I'm not, I'm not 100% (laughs) sure, Um, but I'm close with both of them. And we, um, we FaceTime Mm -hmm. a lot. I don't see them very much. They live in Pennsylvania, Um, but on holidays we go and we see them. My newest kind of stepsister, or I guess stepsister to be, she is also 13. <laughs> She's just turned 13. And okay. she lives she lives out in California. Uh, so I don't see her much often oh, okay. either. But it's it's a different relationship, I guess, because it's the first time I've been like an older sister or like a significantly older mm-hmm. sister. Um, and so 
I get to have kind of the opposite side of the relationship, I guess, that I have with Stephanie, where I'm more like the mentor or like the older person in the relationship. (laughs) That's strange, but it's also nice. And then um, how is your relationship sort of with your, with your various step parents? Yeah. With my various step parents, it's, I really lucked out. I have a really good batch of step parents. No, I love no, like evil stepmother, yeah, Cinderella no, situation, which is apparently the only representation of step parents that can exist. Yeah, step parents are not <laughs> all evil. They are not <laughs> all bad. You've heard it here. Step parents are not all evil. <laughs> um, they are people, and they have their motivations, and they are just trying to love you as much as they can. And I'm glad um, that that sounds awesome that you have a good relationship with them. Yeah, I my my stepmom Michelle, or I guess my first stepmom Michelle, um, <laughs> she really like. Um, I guess we had. I don't know if I would call it like a tumultuous relationship at first, mm-hmm. um, but something that I can talk a little bit about is, um, and maybe when we move to the next question, um, too. Mm-hmm. There was one of the things that I think is hard as a child of divorce is that you kind of have this situation of like almost divided loyalty. Like you feel Mm. of course an intrinsic loyalty to your biological parent, but as a child and also as a person, it's really hard to not like this other, you know, human that has come into your life and just wants to love you and like be a part of your family. Mm -hmm. And so that was hard at first um, because I think like you don't want to you I remember feeling like I didn't want to betray my mom, uh, but that's not what you're doing. Totally. Yeah, I I definitely could understand feeling like that. Yeah. And once you kind of get past that, you know, you just realize that this other person really loves you and they want to be a part of your life. And um, she is one of the most supportive and loving people that I've ever met. And I don't know what I do without her in my life. Like when I'm having Aww. a bad day, I call her and I call my mom and we just all talk and it's great. <laughs> and like, you know, step parents so special. <laughs> yeah. Like step parents can really be valuable. And I think something that is important to say is like, they are also somebody who might be able to give you insight into a situation that your mm-hmm. bio parents might not like they don't have the same kind of tie. Yeah. They can be a more impartial party yeah. if you're having an issue with yeah, your totally. other parents or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I, I think also like there's this, you know, I think that you just like any parent, right. You can have a close relationship or you can have a distant relationship and like, I think that sometimes like you can maybe even be closer with a step parent than you are with, you know, a biological parent. And I think that whatever works for you and like relationships are just all different, but like this idea that, you know, you can't have a relationship with a step parent. That's good. is like very silly. (laughs) Yeah. And like, especially as I've gotten older, you know, your, your step parents just care about you and they Mm -hmm. just, they're not your biological parent, but obviously when you live in a situation with, you know, children, you take on, you know, some form of parental role. And there's just no way to not end up caring about the people that you live in close contact with, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, we talked a lot about sort of your experience uh, as a kid. And I'm curious, like, what were some of the differences, you know, experiencing divorce as a kid and an adult? Yeah. um, And I think there are like 
There's not a lot of differences, but I think one mm-hmm. of the things that really hit me was that as an adult, you have much more like complex thought about the kind of situation. Like yeah. you're pulled in a lot of different directions. And like I was aware of the divorces in a way that I just wasn't as a kid. Um, you know, your parents mm. protect you from a lot of the nitty gritty that might go on. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, any arguing that happens, you're also not a part of it. Or you may not be a part of it, I guess. I wasn't. As an adult, it was, honestly, I think like it was weirder to experience divorce as an adult because there's, <laughs> yeah, there's like, you know, I talked a little bit about loyalties earlier, but like as an adult, there's all these kind of like loyalties that might pull you in one direction or another. They're so much more colored. In a situation where, like mine, where I had had my stepmother, Michelle, in my life for a really long time, it was essentially like I was experiencing the divorce of my parents over again. Like, she is very much a maternal figure. And so it wasn't like, oh, my stepmother's just gone. It's like, okay, I have to Mm. deal with how I feel about this separation as well. And I think experiencing it as a kid made me a little bit more equipped to kind of know that that's the way I was going to be feeling. And so I could kind of navigate that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But it's still, it's still weird as an adult. Definitely. I guess it's been um, almost two years since the initial separation. And I feel like I'm still kind of Mm -hmm. processing and trying to figure out where the new normal is going to be because relationships just have to grow and change and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, definitely any kind of relationship, right? So this is kind of a weird hypothetical, but like I, with your kind of experience from that side, I feel like if you, you know, if you were a parent, uh, you know, going through a divorce, how do you feel like you would, you know, tell your your hypothetical children about it? Um, so I think the, the way that it was handled to me when I was a kid would really um, be the kind of way that I wanted to, you know, present the situation to my children that mm-hmm. mom and mommy, because I, I'm married, I have a wife. Um, mom and mommy weren't going to be together anymore uh, because we were trying to make sure that everybody was happy and we wanted the kids to be as happy as we Mm. could and just kind of presented that way like nobody's loved any less nothing Mm. with you know mom or mommy is going to change but we're just not going to live together and we're going to continue to co-parent you're going to see both of us all that sort of stuff um (laughs) Like, don't shit talk in front of yeah. your kids. Oh, sorry. Am I allowed to swear? Yes, you're allowed to swear. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, and and of course, you know, obviously it might happen, but don't shit talk the other parent to the child. Don't rely on your child for yeah, that kind totally. of emotional support. And again, I think it depends on the age. It depends on the age of your kids as well. Um, but I think even... Mm-hmm. You know, you were 14 and it would have been hard to be the emotional support or 14 to 17. It would have been yes. hard to be your mom's emotional support system. Yeah, 100%. I love her. Yeah. But she doesn't listen to this so I can say this. She still she still does that sometimes. And I'm like, I'm not your therapist. I love you, but I'm not your therapist, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think there's an, an important line with our kids, regardless of the age, where like there are some things that it's appropriate to like put, you know, like it's it's different saying like hey i'm feeling a certain way like i you know mm-hmm. this is hard for me or whatever and then like putting a, your kind of emotional baggage on your kids yeah which other you know we were talking about this earlier there's just like a hard line there i feel like and sometimes it can be difficult to sort of find that line but it's yeah it's important to do that work and do that 
Yeah, and I think it's important to, even if it happens, you know, once or twice, just to say, you know, I'm sorry that I did that. It's mm-hmm. not the situ- the relationship that I want us to have. You are my child. You're not, you know, responsible for my emotional well-being. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So sort of going on the same, uh, on the same terms, like if, I don't know what situation this would be that this would happen to you, Shelby. But if, you know, random kid just walked up to you and was like, hey, what's divorce? How would you how would you explain that to someone who's, you know, not experiencing it? Yeah, that's hard. Um, Kind of going back to our first situational question about, you know, an experience where a kid asked you a question you didn't know how to answer. It would Mm -hmm. be hard because you just you don't know where the boundaries are with somebody Mm -hmm. else's child. But, (laughs) you know kind of the same way that I would explain it to my own kids. You want to be sure to tell them, you know, your family is going to potentially change, but Mm -hmm. nothing about the way you're loved is going to change. And I think I could speak more to like step parents and step siblings that they're not bad. They're potentially new experiences and new friends and new relationships that you could love and will grow to love. They're not always bad. Big disclaimer there. Um, But that, you know, your family is only going to grow and be a better experience from this whole divorce Mm. and the separation that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times we see it as a negative thing and it can really be a positive thing. I wouldn't change anything about the way my family is structured. I love that. I wouldn't change it. Before we uh, kind of start wrapping up, I'm curious, you know, if you have any kind of parting words of wisdom or, you know, what kind of advice you would give to parents of kiddos who are currently, you know, going through a divorce? I don't know. I don't know. I'm driving home a dead horse here, but just (laughs) I think be upfront with your kids Mm because they're aware of more than you think that they are. Yeah, absolutely. Kids are so smart and so aware of things. They pick up on, you know, your mood or your spouse's mood or your partner's mood or anything like that a lot easier than we think. They're like emotional sponges. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, I think explaining to kids why you and your partner are feeling a certain way and what's going on gives them the outlet that they need to understand or begin to understand why they're feeling the way they're feeling. Mm Because a lot of times they kind of suck up all these emotions and then are sort of like, okay, what do I do with them? How, how, how do I deal with this? And so I think, you know, being upfront with them about what's going on and why the people in the situation are feeling specific ways is really, really important. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think I think the communication and being honest is like one of the most important. I mean, we keep again, you know, beating a dead horse. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's really important. But it can't be overstated. I don't think like. It's... <laughs> and yeah, I, absolutely. I, I realize that it's like difficult and you don't have to like drag out the whole sordid story of like the situation <laughs> that's going on with your divorce or, you know, if there's other drama But just say, you know, this is happening. We love you. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to change about that. But we're going through this change. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like it's straight and to the point and honest without, you know, oversharing maybe the information that might be painful or just like doesn't need to be said. So as we are uh, wrapping up here, so I'm curious if you know of any you know resources for either parents or kids about about the topic um it could be you know books movies shows anything you can really think of so there aren't a whole ton of resources for 
good step parents that I know representation. Of. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I kind I always think of like Steven Universe, but there. Oh, yeah. the, no, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, I love Steven Universe. The Crystal Gems aren't necessarily step parents, but they are kind of like new parental figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, That's in true. some sort of a sense, yeah. Stephen lives separately from his dad and he goes to see his dad and his dad comes to see him. So that sort of um, yeah. fits in. I love it. If we haven't talked enough on this podcast about how great Steven Universe is, like go watch Steven Universe with your kids. Steven Universe is amazing. <laughs> Even if you you're an adult, watch, just go watch it. <laughs> watch all of it. It's got songs. They're super catchy. It's like it's true. Super it's why fun. I learned how to play ukulele. Yeah. This is a true it's, fact. It's amazing. <laughs> My last question is just if you have any personal projects that you want to plug, they don't have to be related to this at all. Uh, and or where can people find you on the internet if you would like to be found? People can find me on the internet through Instagram and Twitter, both on the same handle. It is lost my genius. It's just my personal Instagram. It's mostly pictures of my pets. Um, <laughs> They're very cute. And, yeah, there, there's a lot of them. So you, I'll never run short of information. <laughs> And then I guess personal projects, more D&D inspired. I have a very fledgling um, Instagram about dice making. Ooh. It is called. I don't Reviv- even know this. Yeah. It, I, think, I think I have one post on it. It's called Revivify, um, <laughs> Revivify Dice. And it's about dice making. And then Seth and I actually are starting a uh, D- queer D&D podcast here soon. Trying, trying so yeah. hard. Trying hard. So <laughs> keep keep on the lookout for queer adventuring at some point. We <laughs> yes. will have a queer D&D podcast. <laughs> it will happen. It will happen. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. And remember, stay rad. Multiverse theory, corgis, queer representation, reconciliation, angels, demons, squirrels, moose, moose and squirrels, sorcerers, dinosaurs, forests, giants, rogues, warlocks, planes, sewers, lavender, natural toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. I'm Tefra Jemian, the producer and host of the Yeah Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upgrade Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah!